Thank you for many of you coming back tonight, and those of you who are here just for this evening, thank you for coming. We are approaching the end of the book of Revelation, looking for that uh, incredible triumph at the end, these last chapters, especially starting with chapter 19, is simply glorious. And as we sang that uh, hymn tonight together, uh, it will be a, a joy to crown him Lord of all. Tonight we're in chapter 18. Chapter 17 also talked about the city of Babylon. Chapter 18 is the fall, the destruction of Babylon. If you look at Revelation 18.1, after this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And that angel announces the destruction of Babylon, 18.2. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Babylon was considered the great, the powerful, the incredible city. Now, we are going to be looking at Babylon in a very literal sense tonight. We want to be talking about the city of Babylon. Uh, there is uh, some disagreement as to whether uh, this is figurative of Rome, etc. But as we look at the text, certainly there is a great deal to be had by looking at the little city of Babylon for certainly, uh, if it is metaphorical in any sense, it is based on the reality of the city of Babylon. So tonight I'm going to be looking at uh, the literal city of Babylon. I provide for you an appendix. Uh, if you go to page six, numbered one after page five, and I supplied you with this appendix of the role of Babylon in antiquity. Just a reminder of the role that Babylon has played, uh, especially in relationship to God's people down through the ages. We are first introduced to Babylon in Genesis chapter 10. It reads, And Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Now, you need to remember that Cush is ultimately a descendant of Ham. Ham was one of the three sons of Noah. Ham was the one that was cursed. Ham would be the father of Canaan and the Canaanites. And here we have Nimrod, a descendant of Ham, uh, one that uh, God had cursed. And I hear the word Babel is a transliteration of the Hebrew word uh, Babel, and uh, where it says word meaning, and that should be confusion, confusion. So the word Babel is a word that is just simply transliterated. Its meaning is confusion. Remember the difference between a, a translation and a transliteration. A translation is when you bring the meaning of a word in a foreign language into another language. So Babel 
translated means confusion, for it was at the Tower of Babel that the languages were confused. A transliteration is when you try to pronounce in another language that word, in this sense a Hebrew word, and it sounds like Babel. This translation is found, transliteration is found here and in Genesis 11. Babylon is a transliteration of Greek for Babel. So you have Hebrew Babel, Greek Babylon, they're both the same, they're transliterated, uh, sounds better in Greek to say Babylon, but in reality the word means confusion. Point being, we're talking about the city of Babylon. So number two, the city of Babylon was the site of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 verse 4. So that's where the aspect of confusion comes from. If you remember, they tried to build a tower unto God, and God came down and frustrated their efforts by confusing their languages. And so now languages were spoken by different groups as a result. Three, the city of Babylon provided riches. There were a temptation to the people of God as illustrated in Achan. If you remember in the book of Joshua, the children of Israel are coming into the promised land and they are overtaking various cities. And when they came to the city of Ai, uh, Achan was one that uh, had sinned because the city was to be set aside for total destruction. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord, God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment. So Babylon was known for its luxuries. Babylon was known for its uh, rare beauty. Uh, it was known for its exports. And here is this beautiful Babylonian garment. And when this Hebrew individual saw it, they decided to steal it, take it for themselves, bury it in the ground in order to keep it. So it was a source of great temptation. Four, the city of Babylon was a great city. Uh, in uh, Daniel chapter four, you have uh, this uh, study of Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spoke and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power for the honor of my majesty? So here is this king overtaken by his pride looking out over the city and says, Wow, isn't this an incredible place? And I did it. I built it. I built it for my glory. I did it for my praise, and there is nothing like it. If you remember from your uh, probably grade school uh, history classes, there are seven wonders of the ancient world, and one of the seven wonders was the hanging, tower, uh, the, uh, hanging gardens of Babylon. That would have been in this period of time. These gardens were made, and they became literally famous worldwide. It was an incredible city. Number five, 
the king of Babylon was responsible for the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. In 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 8 and following. And the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and he burnt the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. So here is the destruction of the temple under the auspices of the king of Babylon. Six, the king of Babylon was responsible for the exile. Second Kings 24, 10 and following. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and the servants did besiege it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his offers, officers, and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord as the Lord had said. And so here is this uh, beginning of the exile. I have these out of chronological order. Uh, six comes actually before five. Number seven. The king of Babylon was responsible for the desecration of the sacred vessels that were taken from the temple. Daniel chapter 5, verse 2. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, and the kings and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank from them. So they defiled these holy vessels that had been taken out of the temple of Jerusalem before it was destroyed. They had carried them to Babylon. Now they were defiling them. Number eight, in judgment. God removed king after king from being the ruler in Babylon. Daniel chapter 2.21. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. And so if you remember, you have those visions uh, of uh, the various statues that re represent various kings and kingdoms all of which have direct relationship to Babylon and the changing of powers at God's discretion and at God's will. So Babylon was a thorn in the flesh to the people of God from its inception. It was a beautiful, powerful, mighty city. And it was wicked. Which brings us back to page one. If you turn back there with me. The reason for her destruction. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. 
Now, there are two ways that this could be understood. The first would be that when it's talking about the sexual immorality, because we're, excuse me, we're talking about a city, and how can you have sexual immorality with a city? Well, that um, very well might refer to the idolatry that was so vastly present in the city of Babylon. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, um, the children of Israel, when they worshiped false gods, uh, were spoken of as committing adultery. For Israel was to be the wife of God in the Old Testament. So when Israel was unfaithful to God, it's referred to as committing adultery. Uh, worshiping other gods, being unfaithful to uh, the true and living God, the God of Israel. For notice, if you look at the second half of verse 2, uh, under number 1, Revelation 18.2, she has become a dwelling place for demons a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. So here is this city that's filled with corruption and is overtaken by demonic and false worship. Down to number three, the call for God's people to separate from Babylon. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. God's people are to separate from Babylon for two reasons. First, so they do not participate in her sinful practices and actions. Verse 4, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Reason number one, lest you take part in her sins, lest you be engaged in the same kind of sinful actions and practices that others in the city are. And then, secondly, God's people are to separate from Babylon so they do not participate in her judgment. Verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Reason number one, unless you part partake in her sins, lesson number two, lest you share in her plagues. Here we hearken back to the image of Sodom. If you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and especially as it relates to Lot, if you remember Lot vexed his righteous soul, the scripture says, from day to day. When we are beginning the story of Lot and his separation from Abraham when they go in two separate directions because they have grown to such an extent. Their herds, uh, their servants, uh, their wealth is so large that they need to go in two different ways because the land can't sustain them and all their wealth. And Abraham gives a choice to Lot as to where he wants to go. And if you remember the story, it is told to us that, Abraham, that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. He pitched his tent towards Sodom, meaning that he lived outside the city, but it was in the environs of Sodom. Sodom, for whatever reason, probably because of its wealth, probably because of its position, was an enticement to Lot. And it isn't long before the Lot who had pitched his tent 
outside the city is now living in the city. And of course, when the city is going to be destroyed, God sends angels to the city and expressly to Lot and tells him that he needs to flee the city lest he be destroyed along with it. There is a picture of what is being depicted about Babylon. Get out of her for two reasons. One, because you're going to partake in the same kinds of sinful practices that they engage in. And, you know, we have Lot that's offering his daughters to these people that have surrounded his doorway. If you don't know that story, but those of you who do, uh, just an illusion of how even the sinful practices of the city impacted Lot and his family in the way in which he began to, to view <clears throat> life and how it should be lived. And so then he is to destroy, flee the city uh, so that he is not destroyed with it. In this similar admonition, the people are to get out of Babylon so that they're not destroyed with it. Number four, Babylon is going to receive her just reward. It's going to be done to her as she has done to others. Revelation 18.6, pay her back as she herself has paid back others. And then goes on to say, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she mixed. So the kinds of abominations, the, the kinds of atrocities that Babylon had wrought upon the children of God and upon the surrounding nations are the very same kinds of atrocities and hardships that God is now going to bring against the city of Babylon. Um, it's going to be paid back. Her punishment will be in keeping with her crimes, verse 7. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. There is to be an equality between the, the mourning and the glorification, between the torment and her luxury. She sought to be at ease. She sought to be at peace. She sought to have pleasure now replace that pleasure, that peace, that wealth with torment. Replace her glorification now with mourning. Nothing to rejoice in, only, only to be sad. And then see, therefore, Babylon's destruction will be swift. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine. Here is a depiction of God's judgment, God's judgment often coming uh, in the book of Revelation and, of course, in the book of Exodus through the plagues, uh, through these manifestations of God's direct judgment through earthly catastrophes. So, number five. What Babylon's destruction will mean for others. First, the rulers who have benefited from her sinfulness will be sorrowful. Verse 9. And the kings of the earth. I didn't underline that, but, but that is essential to this point. 
and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her. Not only will they weep and wail, not only are they going to mourn, but they'll be afraid that they will experience the same judgment. Verse 10, they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. They are going to recognize God's judgment. They are going to see God at work. It is going to be unmistakable. They are going to know that this is the mighty hand of God. This is not a, a, a foreign army that's invading this city. They are being destroyed by God himself. And the rulers are just going to stand around in amazement. They are going to weep, they're going to be mourn, and they're going to be afraid, knowing that they deserve the same judgment. B, those who have done business with her will be saddened by their loss of wealth. Verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Uh, they have lost their great source of imports and exports. And so they are weeping because their businesses are failing. The wealth that they had accumulated is now being destroyed. Notice verse 12, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves. That is human souls. And so here are even people that are being bought and sold. Here is this city with, again, just incredible wealth and power for exports. And so the merchants lament. Here was their great source of all these materials that is taken away. They too will be afraid of experiencing the same judgment. Revelation 18, 14, and 15. The fruit of which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gain wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. They too are going to be afraid, realizing that this judgment that is coming upon Babylon could easily come upon them. Lastly, those who have transported her goods will lament her destruction. Revelation 18, 16 and 17, alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all her wealth has been laid waste, and all the shipmasters, seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood afar off, and they cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out loud. Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. There is this amazement that it's happened so quickly. 
But notice the, the way in which this affects the entire economy of the world. It is talking about kings, nations that were dependent upon Babylon. It's talking about uh, merchants that were depending upon uh, Babylon. It's talking about uh, sailors. It's, it's talking about sea uh, a port. It's talking about imports, exports. Everyone is going to be affected by the destruction of the city. That's how significant Babylon is. And D, those who are in heaven will rejoice over her destruction. So you, you see the, the tremendous contrast between what is going on on earth and what is going on in heaven. There is this lament, there is this woe, there is this crying, there is this mourning on earth as Babylon is destroyed and in heaven there's rejoicing. There are hallelujahs. They are glad for Babylon's destruction. Revelation 18.20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. Why? For God has given judgment for you against her. Here is the vindication of the people of God. Number one, it will mean that God's people are vindicated and avenged. For God has given judgment for you against her. All of the wrongdoing that has heaped itself up for all these generations, all this period of time in which it seemed as though nothing was happening to Babylon, that, that uh, she was getting away with her idolatrous worship. No. God has given judgment for you and against her. So the angel of God once again announces her judgment, verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Her revel revelry will come to an end. There'll be no more singing and dancing, verse 22. The sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. There will be no reason for celebration. The party atmosphere is gone. Now it's lament. There will be no more business, verse 22. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. This great city of commerce, all of that commerce is coming to an end. There will be no more reason for joy or for hope. Revelation 18.3. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. This city is ultimately, completely, finally, utterly destroyed. All of this is going to come upon her due to her sinfulness. She deceived many by her spellbinding wealth, verse 23. 
And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Here the, the sorcery uh, has to do with their false worship, but their false worship is directly connected to this, this love of money. The word of God tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. And it's the desire that so many people have of wealth, of luxury, of ease, that drives them away from the very truth of God's word, the, the humbling of themselves, of bringing themselves under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. People don't want to have this persecution that's going to come. Jesus said, all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. People don't want persecution, they want luxury. They want, they want um, this lifestyle of the rich and the famous. And so just as many were taken in by Babylon with all her luxury, so too today we see that there are many on the face of this earth that are striving, that are giving themselves to the obtaining of wealth and luxury and peace and are doing so at the very cost of forfeiting their own souls. Scripture says, what shall you have if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Uh, and so people uh, are torn, as it were. B, she opposed the rebukes and warnings given to her throughout the ages. Verse 24, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who had been slain on the earth. There in this city of Babylon was the place where so many of God's people had spilled their blood. Babylon had been warned time and time and time again. There have been periods where there was repentance, such as when Daniel spoke and the king came to his senses, but that was short-lived. The next king was right back doing the same things that the king before him had done in his early years. And so, <clears throat> Babylon is without excuse. So the conclusion, what do we learn from chapter 18? First, even the great and powerful will fall. There is no defense. There is no kingdom that is so powerful, any city that is so rich, any entity on the face of this earth that is going to be able to withstand the judgment of God. In Psalm chapter 2, it says, the nations rage. They gather together. They are seeking a rebellion against God. And, of course, the psalmist says in Psalm 2 that the heaven that God sits in the heavens. He laughs in derision. Uh, it's funny. There is no way that these earthly forces are going to be able to withstand God's judgment. We have the Battle of Armageddon where there are going to be the peoples from the entire face of the earth coming together to resist the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And of course, they will fail. B, the wealthy cannot trust in their riches to deliver them in a time of judgment. 
Proverbs tells us that we are not to trust in riches. Why do we want riches? Why, why do we want wealth? Why, why do we want money? Answer, because of what it usually can provide. People feel like with money they have, they have uh, comfort, they have security, all right? Uh, people save up their money for the rainy day. When difficult times come, then they pull out their savings in order to get them through the hard and difficult times. There is no amount of wealth that is going to spare anyone in the day of judgment. Wealth is deceiving. I was involved with the sale of my father's home when uh, he was developing dementia and had to move out of his house. He had a beautiful home on the top of a hill. And he sold it to a longtime acquaintance. I had known the man for many years. He was extremely wealthy. And uh, he always wanted my dad's house. He, he just loved the view. He loved where it was. And he would always say, Kinsey, when you sell that house, you got to let me know. So he kind of lusted after that house for 20 years. Well, eventually the day came that my dad needed to sell the house, and so I called the man, and I said, uh, the day has arrived. Uh, if you want to buy this house, we're ready to sell. And so he came over, and he walked through the house and looked at the view, and I said to him, I said, well, finally, your desires have been fulfilled. And he looked at me, and he wept. And he said, I really wanted this house for my wife. She died six months ago. And then he said, what is all my money worth? What is all my money worth? Why had he scrimped and saved and done all the things that he had done? He could buy the house but it was meaningless. Ecclesiastes, my favorite book in the Bible. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. So C, riches are deceitful for they bring about a false confidence. Um, Time and time again in the word of God in so many different ways. Remember the story of the rich man who tore down his barns to build bigger barns uh, because he had so much wealth that his barns couldn't hold it anymore. And as he built the bigger barns, then all of a sudden, judgment came. And uh, it was realized that uh, today is the day of judgment. D, riches are often achieved at the expense of others. Um, There's sometimes a wickedness that's associated, even as it refers to, in our passage, of slavery. And it talks about the selling of souls, um, the oppression of the poor. There is so much in the Word of God about the unjustness that uh, goes along with um, the obtaining of wealth when they are gotten by ill-gotten gains. Not everyone, of course, uh, gets rich at the expense of others, but some do. E. The pleasure of materialism 
must not replace the pleasure that is to be found in the worship of God. There's always that temptation. Always that temptation. To pitch the tent near Sodom. To the lure of money and wealth can easily distract us from our worship of God. One of the great temptations. Uh, we live in a time in our society where people have a lot of money. People have a lot of time on their hands. Uh, it's easy to vacate and to go places and to travel and to have second homes and third homes. And there are just so many things and, and uh, things we can buy and purchase, cabins and boats, and all of these things that can lure us away from the worship of God in the public attendance of worship. But even in our Bible reading, even in our daily dependence upon God, for we don't see as great a need for God as we once did. Uh, we need to be aware of the temptations that are associated with wealth and false worship. F, we must rejoice in the truth and not in iniquity. And G, there will come a time when the injustices of this world will be addressed. No one gets away with their sinfulness. In the New Testament it says that be sure your sins will find you out. If you're a child of God, your sins are addressed. They are forgiven in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But unless a person knows Jesus Christ, then they bear their own iniquity. They, bury, they bear their own sinfulness. The things that they have done are going to come, be coming, crashing down on their own heads. Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 18 is, is the culminating passage of warning. Warning to the kings, warning to the merchants, warnings to the sailors, warnings to the peoples of this earth. And they are afraid, for they recognize that they have been doing business with this Babylon. They are no different. So here is the grace of God, revealing coming judgment, showing people of their need for repentance. They're crying out, they are mourning, they are lamenting, and they are weeping, but they're not turning to Christ. And one of the great sadnesses of our day is people are recognizing more and more the misery and heartache of sin, and people are crying, and people are miserable, and people are unhappy. But in that unhappiness and misery, unfortunately, they're not turning to Christ. They're turning to drugs, they're turning to alcohol, they're turning to false religions, they're turning to all kinds of false hopes. But we have the message of the gospel. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, we know that you are the great judge. We know that judgment is coming. But we rejoice that there is a remedy to judgment, and that is Jesus Christ, who bore the judgment of our sin on the cross, who rose again and is seated at the right hand of God, and who is coming again 
to rule over this earth, literally, to descend from the skies and to stand on this earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, our Father, for revealing to us his lordship in our own lives. Help us to be taking that good news of gospel forgiveness to a lost and dying world who stands in peril of judgment. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.